Well, that really takes me back to my old football days. A lot of you uh, don't know this about me, but I used to watch a lot of football. <laughs> and uh, of course, everybody's thinking about football today and about these incredible athletes that will face off on the field in just a few hours. This is big game day. San Francisco 49ers versus the Kansas City Chiefs. And on the one hand, it's, it's just a football game. No big deal. On the other hand, today's game is a cultural phenomenon. 100 million people will watch today's game. 100 million people. That's crazy. People who don't even like football will watch today's game or participate in some game day activities. And you've heard about some of the fun things that we have going on right here in our building today. And the folks that planned these game day activities for us did a great job booking vendors for food and arranging activities in the hallways and strong-arming pastors into dunk tanks. And it's going to be a really, uh, really fun day. Many of you here today are Ward Church regulars. And you know we gather here every Sunday to reflect on the scriptures and on their implications for our lives. We come to practice gratefulness. Uh, we come to give honor to our God. And here at Ward Church, we worship in two distinct venues and styles. Our modern worship service here in this room, and then just down the hallway in our sanctuary, another group is gathered, worshiping in a more classic style. And a video feed ties the two rooms together for our teaching time. And I want to say hello to those of you gathered in the sanctuary right now. Uh, some of you are here for the first time because somebody invited you to include today's game day activities as part of your super day plans. And so if you came specifically today for the game day activities, welcome to you. And then some of you are here for the first time and you had no idea about the game day activities. Uh, you just, today just happened to be the day that you decided to check out a new church and you walked into the lobby and saw a dunk tank and you wondered what kind of church is this? Uh, is that some new baptism practice or something going on there? Uh, you've come on an unusual uh, day, but I think you'll get a good taste for the flavor of our church today. We're really glad that you're here. Uh, this year on Sunday mornings, our congregation has been studying the Sermon on the Mount. And these words of Jesus are some of the most famous most influential, most inspiring, and most confusing words ever recorded in human history. And we've been working our way through it, just kind of paragraph by paragraph. And as fate would have it, we come to, on this Big Game Sunday, we come to a section where Jesus talks about enemies and about retaliation. And these are words that some of us will need later this afternoon uh, while we're sitting to watch a game or in my case, while we're sitting in a dunk tank. We will need these words. In the spirit of the big game, our enemies on this day are born mostly from friendly rivalry. Some of you are for one team, some of you are for another team, but many of you will sit down and eat chicken wings with enemies this afternoon. That's a great sign of the kingdom. It gives new meaning to the line of King David. You prepare before me a table in the presence of my enemies. We're gonna do that this afternoon. But sometimes our enemies stir in us real hatred. When we've been hurt, we want to hurt back. And Jesus is teaching a new way of living now possible in him. And I want to read to you these words of Jesus from today's scripture reading. 
today's scripture passage, and as is our custom, uh, if you're able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word, both here in Knox Hall and there in the sanctuary? Listen now to the words of Jesus. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Father in heaven, open these words of Jesus to our understanding and to our use. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Well, we are in this section of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is contrasting uh, the conventional wisdom of his day with a new way of living, a kingdom way of living. He's contrasting the conventional idea of goodness with a better kind of goodness, a a deeper kind of goodness, a, a goodness that comes from the inside out. And for each topic that we've been looking at over these last few weeks, Uh, Jesus uses this phrase, you have heard that it was said, but I say. You've heard that it was said, and then he talks about the wisdom of his day, but I say, and then he offers this new way of thinking and behaving. He did this when he talked about anger, we started with that. He did it when he talked about sexuality and desire. He did it when he talked about divorce and remarriage. He did it when he talked about truth-telling, which we looked at last week. And he does it today when we talk about revenge. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. And this was the conventional wisdom of his day, supported in the Bible. The Old Testament says that, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. Someone takes out your eye, what do you do? Take out their eye, yeah. Someone knocks out your tooth, what do you do? Knock out their tooth. Someone kills you, what do you do? The correct answer is nothing. Uh, you, don't, you don't do anything. But your family might avenge you and kill your killer. And this is the way it went back and forth. And some of you are thinking, that sounds really barbaric. I, I, don't, I don't understand why that's in the Bible. The Bible supports that. But listen, the, the, the law that says eye for eye and tooth for tooth was actually designed to restrain retributive violence in a lawless era. Imagine human life in its earliest days, back when there was essentially no governance, no court system, no justice systems, every person for themselves. You hurt me, I hurt you back. 
And how much do I hurt you back? As much as I can. As much as I want to. No limits whatsoever. Uh, there, there was a story on the news recently about an argument that happened in a parking lot uh, in our city. And, and, the, and one guy insulted another guy. And the guy that was insulted took out a gun and shot the guy who made the insult. That, that, that's, that retribution doesn't match the offense. And so the Old Testament sets these limits. Insult for insult, no more than that. Wound for wound, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Into this lawless society, it was saying there should be something like proportional punishment. It was setting the groundwork for justice. And it really was a giant step forward in the ancient world. Uh, Mom has two children in the next room a baby and a five-year-old and she hears a scream and she says, Billy, what's going on in there? And Billy says, the baby just pulled my hair and it really hurts and I'm mad about it. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get him. And mom says, no, 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 Billy, uh, the baby doesn't know. The baby doesn't understand that that hurts you. Uh, the baby doesn't know. A few minutes later, she hears another scream from the room. Billy, what's going on? Billy says, now he knows. We live in this you pull my hair, I'll pull yours kind of world. And how's that working for our world? Jesus says there's a better way besides eye for eye and tooth for tooth. Jesus is saying now in me there is another option available to you. Paul writes to the church at Rome, do not repay anyone evil for evil. The apostle Peter writes similarly, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the, that's the conventional wisdom. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. But Jesus is not teaching, nor the New Testament writers saying, that we can never stand up for ourselves. They are not suggesting that we resign ourselves to the role of a victim. People have accused Jesus of this. Nietzsche said that in this teaching, uh, to love one's enemies... Nietzsche says, is testimony to the fact that the Christian ethic is designed for the weak and cowardly, says Nietzsche, not for the strong and courageous. Nietzsche called Jesus an impractical idealist. But Jesus is not teaching weakness. He's teaching a new kind of strength. A new way of relating to people is now possible that the kingdom has come. And Jesus then refers to some very concrete examples of this that everybody in his audience would have been able to relate with in that day. He says, you've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. And then here's illustration number one. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Jesus is not giving a rule. In Jesus' day, if somebody slapped you on the cheek, they're not trying to hurt your body. They tr they're trying to insult your honor. It was a very honor-based society. A backhanded slap is something you would do in that day to an inferior, to a slave, to a servant, in that day to a child, to someone who is lower on the ranking than you are. 
And remember in that day the, the, the right side of the body was considered honorable and the left side was considered unclean and so the slap could only happen with the right hand and only into the right side. And Jesus said, okay, so suppose someone does that to you. Suppose somebody comes up and slaps you. What do you do? You really had two options. You could slap them back, dishonor for dishonor, or you could cower in fear and run away. But Jesus says now there is a third option. You could stand your ground and offer the other cheek. Completely unexpected. Now in that culture, actually, he would not be able to hit you on your left cheek. That wouldn't be right for him to do so. So he's got to find a new way to deal with you. He's got to deal with you as an equal or find some other way to handle it. Jesus is saying that you, as someone who lives in the kingdom, can refuse to participate in mutual hostility. That's the idea. Then he goes to a, a second example that his... his uh, listeners would have understood. If anyone wants to sue you and take, you, uh, take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. This is talking about a lawsuit. And if someone is being sued for their shirt, how much money do you think that person being sued has? Nothing. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. Suing somebody for their shirt, for the only thing they have. And Jesus says, when that, this is not a rule, but you could just offer your coat to them as well. Jesus is saying, you, you are not the victim of either desire for revenge, that often happens, nor are you a victim of the fear that makes you want to run away and hide. There is another kind of life that's now possible, and, and God will help you live this way. Then he goes on with a third example. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. And again, they would have understood that in that day, Rome was allowed by law to force any occupant of an occupied territory to carry their bags, carry their gear, carry their burden for one mile. The law limited it to one mile, but any Roman soldier could ask anybody to carry their bags, carry their weight for one mile. So what do you do? A Roman soldier comes up to you and says, carry my bag, what do you do? You take a look at him, he's just a kid. He's from another part of the world. He's probably poor himself. He may have been forced into military service when his own country was conquered by Rome. He's far away from his family. He's in a place where he is hated, and he knows it. He's despised. People talk about him behind his back. He gets shunned. He gets resented. And see, when we don't have love for somebody, we, we dehumanize them in our mind. And we forget this is somebody's son. This is somebody's father. This is somebody who has needs of their own. So Jesus says, here's the idea. The Roman soldier comes to you and tells you to carry their bag, and you carry it for the mile as the law requires. And at the end of that mile, here's an idea. Not a rule, but this is something you could do in the, in the new law of love. You could look that soldier right in the eye, and you say to him, I, I bet life is hard for you here. What if I carry your bags for you farther? And that soldier's mind would be blown. No, nobody had ever offered that before. Nobody had ever loved that way before. Again, this is not a rule. It's an illustration. That, that's what a person of true love might do. They might love somebody that nobody else loves. They might do things that nobody else would have thought of to do. In the kingdom... 
You can be creative and strong in the work of reconciliation. You can love somebody that nobody else loves. You can do this. And then Jesus summarizes this. He punctuates it here in the next part where he says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and what? Hate your enemy. Hate your enemy. Love your neighbor, that's in the Bible. Hate your enemy, not in the Bible, friends. People assumed that was there because love your neighbor, they thought that was the natural corollary. If I'm supposed to love my neighbor, then I guess I'm supposed to hate my enemy. That's not what the Bible says. It's what people assumed in that day, and I think maybe they assume it in our day as well. That is the way the world works. We love our neighbor, we hate our enemies, but I tell you, says Jesus, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Some commentators call this line the summit of the Sermon on the Mount. This is the pinnacle of the mountain. It doesn't get any more real. It doesn't get any more tough than this. Pray for those who persecute you. And the prayer is not, smite them, O Lord. The prayer is, bless them. Make good things happen to them. It doesn't get any more real than to be able to pray for our persecutors. This is not the way that I work. Jesus says, if you love only those who love you, what reward will you receive? There's a fair amount of research about this. Do you know what the number one factor is that determines whether or not you will like somebody? This is backed up by research. The number one factor of whether you will like somebody is if they like you. We like the people who like us. And even if there's somebody I don't like and I keep my distance and then I hear that they've been saying good things about me behind my back, I hear that they like me, I suddenly think, well, that person must have a few things going on. That person's got great character judgment. That person is discerning and wise. And I change my tune. Likewise, you want to guess what the number one factor is that determines whether you don't like somebody? If they don't like you could be anybody that could be great in all other respects. It might be Mother Teresa. If Mother Teresa doesn't like me, she's bad. We like the people who like us. God is, God, listen, God is not this way. God just loves people. God loves the people who love him. God loves the people who hate him. God loves the people who spit in his face. Jesus goes on to say, God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends the rain that everybody needs for life. He sends the rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. God is not discriminatory in many of these blessings. Isn't that one of the most frustrating things about God? We, we want him to save certain blessings only for the good people. The great civil rights leader, Dr. Martin Luther King, had many enemies, and in one of his most moving sermons called Loving Your Enemies, which he wrote from a jail cell in Georgia, he described how hate multiplies hate in a descending spiral of violence, and it is just as injurious to the person who hates as to the victim. And then this great line, but love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. Love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend, and that's what God did for us. 
We were enemies with God, and His love transformed us from enemies into friends. Dr. Martin Luther King had many enemies, but you know who had more? Jesus. In Peter's letter to the church, he wrote, when they hurled insults, their insults at Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. It's a great line. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. In the last week of his life, Jesus, who had taught such wonderful things, found out just how much his enemies hated him. He said, if somebody slaps you on the cheek, turn and offer them the other. And then in the final day of his life, we're told that his enemies surrounded him, spit in his face, and struck him with their fists. He could have called 10,000 angels. He could have gotten back at them, but instead he stood his ground and he turned the other cheek. He said, if somebody takes you to court, take your shirt off your back and offer that to them and then offer them your coat as well. One day his enemies took him to court, put him through a mockery of a trial, hung him on a cross, and then an ultimate expression of humiliation, they took his clothes. Jesus said, if Roman soldiers come to you someday and ask you to carry their pack for one mile, offer to go with them even farther. And one day soldiers came for him. They forced him to carry a cross until he could carry it no more. And then a soldier pointed to somebody in the crowd, Matthew 27, says it was Simon of Cyrene and made him carry the cross. This is that law. This is that word. Jesus walked a mile with his punishers and then said, I will go farther if that's what it takes. This is not weakness. This is real strength. Think about the problems of our world. Violence, gangs, wars, ethnic cleansing, broken homes, and shattered hearts. What's going to heal that? It's not eye for eye and tooth for tooth. It's not retaliation and revenge. It is the way of the cross. The way of the cross is the power to stop the hostility and hate, and it starts with us. It's easy to love the people who like us and who we like, but the cross gives you the power to love people you don't like and who don't like you. And that is real strength. And it is the kind of love that is the hope of this world. And you and I are going to have an opportunity to practice that this week, I guarantee. You might not get slapped in the face. You might not have somebody sue you for your shirt. But you will have an opportunity to practice the law of love in the new kingdom. Will you pray with me? God, we sense in the words of Jesus that the winds are changing. And a new kingdom has arrived. Blessed are the poor and the meek and the grieving. For the kingdom belongs to them. Our king is seated on the throne, high and lifted up. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And this we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.